Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, be sure to stay tuned after the interview with Skip Barber because I get to go in a racing car. It's pretty cool. This is A Lot To Learn with Austin Rogers. For the guy who knows everything, he's still got a lot to learn. Without further ado, here's Austin. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. I have no idea what time it is because this is a podcast and you listen to podcasts whenever you might. Uh, perhaps you're in a car, which is incredibly appropriate because we are here today at Lime Rock Park, gorgeous Lime Rock Park in rural Connecticut with Skip Barber, the legendary Skip Barber of the Skip Barber Racing School and the host of Driven with Skip Barber, which is an excellent podcast, which you should now pause mine, go over to Driven with Skip Barber, hit subscribe, and then come back here. I'll give you a second. Okay, great. Welcome, Skip. Oh, no. I should welcome myself. Thank you for having us at Lime Rock Park. <laughs> and thank you for the big plug. Yes. That was uh, wonderful. Well, hey, podcast people got to plug podcast people. I think that's how it works. Um, well, we're in Lime Rock Park in rural Connecticut, roughly two hours northeast-ish of Manhattan, more or less on the New York-Connecticut-ish border. And we're in these rolling hills and pastoral environs hearing the buzzing of many flat six engines right now because it is a porsche club day it's porsche club day uh now lime rock park this is your racetrack this was was this a racetrack before or you just i'm the uh, current custodian you're the current custodian of lime rock park it was built 62 years ago okay it actually was a gravel pit that ran out of gravel <laughs> and the man that owned it had a friend with an old mg and they just pounded around here having fun and ended up uh, coming up with a wonderful course, a, a plan for a racetrack. Sheer good luck. Now, racetracks, are, are, they, are they planned or, or are old or, or, or have older racetracks been planned or do they just organically emerge from the landscape around them? I know like Circuit of the Americas is obviously planned. It's brand new. Well, this is too long ago for you to know anything about but in the 50s when sports car racing was really getting popular in this country the races were at strategic air command air force bases mm -hmm. did you see the movie dr strangelove of course okay, yeah well the guy yeah. that comes down riding the bomb yeah 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 was the joint chief of staff and he was a sports car enthusiast and he allowed that to happen then he was gone and all of a sudden you couldn't race on air force bases so Got most it. of the road courses a road course is a track with a lot of corners not a circle not an oval they got built all around the same time in the late 50s and this was one of them got it got it so it was planned ish in that there was this plot of land that was now in disuse and someone's like ah we'll make a turn there and up and down the hill and um you'll check out some photos and some video later on the instagram but it truly is rolling hills and i had the privilege uh skip hosted me uh about a year ago at a uh a GT race, and I had the privilege of riding a BMW M5 around this track for one lap and just getting whipped around. I assure you it is, a, let's say, one of these Porsche GT3s or GT2s. What are they maxing out in the front straight here? Um, you're looking at the front straight. Obviously, our listeners can't see it. It's not very long, but it's entered in a very high-speed corner. Mm -hmm. So a, uh, a real race car goes about 180 at the end of this straight <laughs> you know you look at this and it's small it's only a mile and a half around yep so it's not unusual to think that means it's slow it's actually the fastest road course in north america it has the highest average speeds there's no slow corners now 
then let's go back to the slow speed of the old-fashioned days. I'm not dating you, but you. how did you become the custodian of this vaunted racetrack? And uh, let's start at the beginning. How does one become the racetrack guy and the racing school guy and the driving school guy? I'll, I'll do it quickly. I hope quickly. How what happened to me? Or oh, you take what, your, you take your time if you feel like it. So when I grew up in the late fifties and early sixties, that's when every kid got his driver's license on his sixteenth birthday. It was a huge deal. Everybody wanted to drive. Same for me. And and not anymore though. And and that's a real issue for the future. And at the same time, sports cars were tremendously popular, imported cars. It right. Was, you know, this was 10 or 15 years after World War II, servicemen had brought back neat cars. MGTC, MGTD, you know. Right. And in fact, the car, the gravel pit car, was an MGTC. Yeah. That they drove around this gravel pit. Um, and so that kind of racing became very popular and it was fashionable to own a nice English sports car. So in a little, as you described it, rural town like this, I wasn't here then, but I bet it looked like every other person had some kind of cool car. Right. And it was a logical thing to then start racing them, to driving them around the racetrack. The first driver's school, I'm told, at Lime Rock had 250 cars here. 250, they must have been relatively local, people who brought their MG, right. knew nothing about the whole sport, and learned to drive around the racetrack. Learned to and drive. And it exploded in popularity, much more so than it is now. Right, because, you know, the 60s is the heyday of sports car racing. You know, we've got the... You know, the Shelby GT series out there duking it out um, on the same race courses as the Cobras, which are lapping them twice as fast. And then we've got all the the incredibly famous, the Phil Hills of the world, driving all these fantastic sports car. And then even into the 70s, we've got uh, the, what was it, the, the, the IROC series and the Trans Am series, right? Yeah, the Trans Am series, which that was fact against factory right um and that was once the most significant thing here and then in the 80s imsa had something called gtp that was wildly exotic thousand horsepower cars right incredibly expensive all run by factories and then it really fell away but the last few years it's coming back there's there's a good future i think yeah i mean we're just looking at you know, there are probably three dozen three dozen Porsches out here right now maybe a little bit more and uh, these are all more or less these are some of these are people's daily drivers and they're just pulling most of in. them these are what the Porsche clubs call DE driver education days got it they're not really schools though there's a real element of that so this is yeah bring your nice Porsche and pound around the racetrack there's been a different Porsche club here every day this week it's a lot of people in total and some of these days have had a hundred people not on the racetrack right, at once right but here right taking turns okay so let's flash back you've uh you've acquired stewardship of this of this racetrack um and what do you do once you once you acquire a racetrack well I didn't do that for a long time. Okay. Can I back it up a little? Please back it up. Let's go. In of historical yes. accuracy. Yes, please. So my first experience here was racing. Um, and then almost 20 years later, I started the racing school, the Skip Barber Racing School. And this was our most important track in the East. This is where we started. Mm -hmm. That eventually grew to be all over the country. Now tell, uh, tell our listeners where the other Skip Barber schools well, are. Well, the other important places then, it's not the same now, were Laguna Second, California. Corkscrew. Yes, Riverside no longer in business in Southern California. Sebring in Florida, Road America in Wisconsin, yep. Road Atlanta in Georgia, in Georgia. <laughs> um, and a lot of places in between where we would stop briefly. But in the early 80s, um, the guy that owned Lime Rock then, who was racing occasionally, he was a gentleman driver, um, decided, sorry about my phone there. Nope, it was a race um, alert. We needed he, that. He uh, decided uh, to sell the racetrack. And some vintage racers who I thought had unrealistic plans for Lime Rock's future, uh -huh. they were going to build a hotel for track fans. 
you can't make a hotel around here work. I right. Mean, they're all just hanging on by their fingernails. Um, and so I put together a group of six guys from the racing school, six customers, and we bought it. Yeah. And the deal was each guy got to make two mortgage payments a year. Um, and that way we wouldn't be taking cash out of the school, out of the track. Right. And we could really fix it up. And it was a mess at the time. Yeah. And now, so you've got this fledgling racing school, and this is in the early 80s? Yeah. The early 80s. So we're sort of in the doldrums right now of... of, of of at least the automotive era, we're in. We're firmly in the malaise era of at least American cars. And then what do we have for Porsches in the early '80s? We've got the the 911 Turbo, the Widowmaker one. You know, the crazy one where the boost came on insanely. Uh, what what kind of clientele are you uh, are are you approaching when you're just starting out this brand new or this rebirth? Yes, the track the track was here. We I mean we didn't do anything significantly different to what went on at the racetrack i mean we were doing racing schools all the time all the weekends had car clubs and there were three or four major events a year that lots of people came to we didn't change any of that what we had to change was the physical plant and it's a park really and people think it's so beautiful we had to manage to change it and make it work without changing the appearance uh-huh and we've done that right that meant you know new sanitation systems water systems blah 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 rebuilding the track itself huge investment mostly over the last 10 years and that's that's actually something that you know they think oh cars fun and games but now you're you're going from an auto racer to an entrepreneur to an engineer and landscape architect, all in, all all in the course all in the course of you know a decade and a half, which is which is unreal because people are trying to extrapolate from this. Oh yeah, I want to do this. Uh, you got to wear many hats. Yeah, fortunately, you can hire landscape architects. <laughs> you know, related, I'm not saying you did it. <laughs> related to that, one of the most satisfying things for me. And bear in mind, we have moved a tremendous amount of earth. We've changed the shape of the spectator areas. We've made lines of sight lines much better. Uh-huh. So some guy comes in here and he says to me, boy, I haven't been here for 25 years and this is great. Nothing's different. <laughs> no, that's really satisfying. Oh, we, oh, ha- we haven't. You've done it so seamlessly. Yes, yes. And there's not a lot of ugly structures or ugly anything no there's literally nothing ugly um other than what now neighbors race cars are noisy yeah now now we're getting ugly well yeah i know but i'm i'm curious about it because again we are in this pastoral bucolic uh environment but i love me some fast cars uh i what 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 is the what is the relationship with the neighborhood like well if you if you'll back up just half a sure not only is it pastoral and bucolic this is a historic town oh is it um and there are beautiful houses within a quarter of a mile of the racetrack so we have a very different problem than a lot of other racetracks Uh and this track was built after most of those houses were here it's not like you build an airport um and then people start building houses around it and you say how can they do that they're yeah. crazy yeah a lot of the it's houses the other were way here, around but the neighbors who live in them were not here um so we constantly are having the argument look fella you bought your house next to the track knowing the track was here right don't complain about how we're right impacting yeah, your right. home values uh, i mean <laughs> i i work at a bar in manhattan and uh, there are people who live on the same block as a bar and they've moved in recently and i go you're the one who moved in on the block with the bar. <laughs> yeah, but you did that when, before you were the Jeopardy guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I did. <laughs> are you still doing that? Uh, still bartending? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, why, why wouldn't I? I can't lose my, uh, I can't lose my roots. Also, it's, uh, <laughs> also, it's, also, it's cash. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, no, I, I totally understand that sentiment where you'd be like, uh, you, you, you knew when you signed on the dotted line that you're next to also a historic racetrack because this isn't, this isn't some fly-by-night operation. This is a racetrack with a storied history. And, uh, and also, you know, there's some wealth here too. So it's some wealthy people with one hobby and some wealthy people with another hobby, real estate. <laughs> right, and we're surrounded by 
celebrities. Um, Meryl Streep lives right up the street, that kind of person. This is a terrific retreat area for New Yorkers. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's an added element in all this. We have a unnamed famous movie actress who lives on a hill. That means she can hear about a quarter of a mile from here. Yep. Well, right. we will not show in which direction Skip has pointed for reasons of privacy, but he definitely pointed in a direction. <laughs> um, so... So track days where let's flash back to the eighties. We're in a roundabout meandering way, much like your race course. Uh, so we're, we're in the eighties and we're trying to, uh, we're trying to build a clientele through race days and track days. And, and then, um, what's the next step of, of racetrack ownership? Well, I want to clarify that a little mm -hmm. bit. When you talk about building a clientele, Lime Rock is busy every day of every week that isn't in the winter except Sundays. We're not allowed to do anything on Sundays. Right. In 1959, if anybody can remember back then, our neighbors were successful in going to court um, and getting Sunday racing stopped. Mm -hmm. So we run six days a week, but every day. So we don't have to build a clientele of track users. What we have to build for our three major spectator events is a clientele of spectators. Right. And we have been very fortunate, or some people around here have been good, in that our audience now is young. 20 years ago, everybody had gray hair. The people driving, the people working the corners, the mechanics, right. and everybody watching. That has changed dramatically. This has become really a family outing to go to the country go to lime rock for the day not necessarily watch cars all day but there's a lot of other things it's a park a lot of other things to do i mean i was here maybe once maybe twice as a young child because i grew up not too far from here um and i don't i'm not saying it wasn't memorable i'm saying i don't remember it to the caliber of when i was at the race weekend last year and in the infield the infield's the middle of the part where the racetrack goes around is a festival and there's food trucks and there's displays from all the automakers and you're right it's it's families and young families at that uh enjoying the day out at the park what do you what do you think changed in the past couple years that um that both the the drivers and the people enjoying the park uh, are are younger. What do you think happened? I, I think we have done a better marketing job telling families that this is a great place to bring kids. Right. Um, that day you were here that weekend, I remember that, we had 3,000 spectators who were under 16. Uh, I mean, we counted them. They get in for nothing. Yeah. As long as they have a, as long <laughs> as they have a parent coming with them. Um, that's of course lot. you counted that number. <laughs> uh, yes. That's a lot of young people. Yeah. And that bodes well for the future. Yeah. And that was an exciting race day because what three different series ran that day, I believe. There was a, there was an amateur series which had some, you know, Miatas and stuff along those lines. And then what was the next class up? There, there were then two professional two series. Two professional of, series, yeah. What everybody calls GT cars, right. Porsches, Ferraris. Yeah, and the, the lower class was like... Uricons and four eight eights and stuff like that, and the upper, the higher tier was like the custom mid-engine nine elevens and the factory Corvettes and stuff like that, right? That that's correct. And, and those are monsters. And, all of those cars. And one of the bad things about the sport is it's just way too complicated for somebody that's not a fanatic, right? You know, so the guy that comes in wanders in off the street. You know, he has trouble sorting out the classes and and, uh, and some of the same, I mean, some cars that look, Porsches, for example, there's a Porsche for every class. Well, right. How, how can a novice viewer figure that out? Three Porsches out there in three different classes. Oh my God, it makes no sense. Right. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a nerd, so I had the privilege to be taken down to the factory GT1 paddock and they had 
a mid-engine 911. Now, the 911, uh, for those who are in car, there's mid-engine, front-engine, and rear-engine, and depending on where it is behind the axle. And this was a mid-engine 911, and there were only three of those, I think. In, in the world. In I the think. world, and I think two of them were here. Yeah, and they're owned by the factory. And they're owned by the factory, but to the to the neophyte, you're just like, oh, there's another Porsche. Uh, what do you attribute to that to? Is that uh, due to, uh, you know, the minutia of the rules makers or what would open up, what would open up the accessibility of the rules so that more people could be like, I know what kind of car that is versus that car. Boy, I, I wish I could give you, I know why, but I don't know the solution. Well, what's the why? The why is that sports cars, um, are still in demand among, let's call it the knowledgeable car enthusiast. And the good ones are all expensive. Um, and the way to showcase them in the factories, factories plural mm -hmm. opinion, is to race them. Um, and this kind of place is, is the right place to do that and, and show them off. Um, the rules makers are independent of the factories and the factories often have to build a special car to comply with the rules for the Porsches, which race against Ferraris and factory Corvettes and Lamborghinis. For the Porsche to be competitive, they had to put the motor in the middle mm -hmm. and have better weight distribution than a street Porsche. Got it. And so they that's built why those special cars. And it's completely unrelated to any car that you could buy on the street. It just looks sort of like one. It looks... You walk right by it and yeah, be able to tell the exactly. difference. Well, now you touched on, let's get on a little how-to moment. You touched on something pretty uh, heady, which is motorsport is not cheap. Yeah, it's so really... So how, how, how can the average Joe, or even better, the average Joe and his young son get in to sports car racing. Now I know like when you go to like uh, Lebanon Valley in upstate New York, the, the dirt track brand of racing is, it's not inexpensive, but it's significantly less expensive than this kind of complex German and European engineering that we're seeing out here. That's um, what's, what's a good entry level uh, other than, you know, subscribing to uh, well, the Skip Barber Racing School? Well, <laughs> that's, well, that's, which I don't own anymore. Um, and haven't for 20 years. Oh, and unfortunately, well, that's how that's how important your name is that it's still attached to it. Well, it was since it's not mine now. I can say good things about it. <laughs> um, it was the whole entry system to motorsports. Got it. I mean, virtually every Indianapolis driver, every front row NASCAR driver went to that racing school. Yes, and often that's how they started and that made a lot of sense and that was easy you could go to a school then you could go up one level and the school had a race series it was like baseball you know with yeah triple a single a, a yeah blah, blah. exactly um I, I sold the school to the wrong people and eventually they ruined it um and it started again with some really nice people, but it's small. Mm -hmm. So there's not that, it's not all over. There's not that easy access. So the way you do it now is fortunately, there are a lot of car clubs that use different tracks and they have their own driver training program. And a lot of those are for cars that are not expensive, right. not fancy. I mean, the best car to start in is probably a Mazda Miata. Mazda Wonderful Miata. handling, great car to drive around a racetrack and not too fast. Yep, it's the Swiss Army knife of cars. What's the answer to every car nuts thing? What should I buy? Miata. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's correct. The normal way is to buy a very nice Porsche and then try it and then get a Miata. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's standard operating. Seriously. I, I, I love that. I love that. You know, slow. what's the what's the old adage? Uh Slow car fast is more fun than fast car slow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I hadn't heard that, but that's correct. Yeah. So you can go to these car club days. They're at all tracks um, for all different economic levels and skill levels. And you can really get involved in that. Yeah. So that you usually end up being a pretty good driver and having lots of fun driving around the racetrack in your daily commuter. 
If you get serious about racing, that's a whole different story. Right. Then you have to get a race car, and it's a it's a cruel sport. I mean, anybody can buy a baseball bat, mm-hmm. but not everybody can buy a race car. No, and uh, then there's the other old one, which is like, what's the... Uh, fastest way to turn 10 million dollars into 1 million dollars yeah. own a race team <laughs> yeah. 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 um no but that's that's encouraging because you there are, there are local avenues of accessibility so you just look up your local Mazda car club and you could go and find a track event for your standard Mazda 3 series the little $23,000 hatchback which apparently handles amazingly well so and and this translates across the board Yes, well, first, you don't have to be limited to a Mazda club. Right. I mean, there are a lot of clubs that don't have a car name in front of them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the X area drive around a racetrack club. Right, right. And um, there's a lot of of chances to participate. So we've got our entry level, and now we're working through, uh, you know, we've got an affordable gateway into uh, racing that, you know, dad can go out and uh, with his 17-year-old, because once you're on the track, uh, what's the rules on that for taking um, uh, a minor on on the track and, like, learning them the ropes? Um. A minor with a with parental permission mm-hmm. can attend any car activity where he can learn or she can learn how to drive. Oh, that's so. Yeah. Th- so it's not so much both going around the track and the car at the same time. Right, right, right. It's about going around with an experienced instructor. Driver. Yeah, yeah, instructor. Yeah. Um, so there, there, there is an accessible gateway into motorsport that is local and grassroots and affordable. Um, now, what about the future now of motorsport. Okay. Now we get now we get weird because we're you know I'm not really I'm not sold on this whole autonomy thing. I don't think it's going to be within our lifetime because I insane driver assistance and aiding. Absolutely, we're already sort of on the threshold for that. But I don't I don't see the eventuality of getting in the pod and telling saying to the pod take me home and the pod takes you home with no buttons and no nothing um but we are under electrification and we see the uh diminution of displacement of cars and the addition of electric flywheels and and multiple turbochargers that sort of sort of suck the fun out of it what's next for this sport i'm going to disagree with you a little bit. okay cool um, please people often put together self-driving cars and electric cars they might happen together but they're not at all the same okay thing. i mean you showed me earlier today the yes, picture a, a of a Pininfarina with more than a thousand horsepower. Yes, totally. You drive that yourself. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. That has zero autonomous functionality. Yeah. Okay. So if anybody in the world could afford ten of them, yep. you could have oh. 10, of, ten of them racing around the racetrack at the same time. There we go. Um, and it would take a very good driver. Electric racing cars are absolutely on the way i mean there is one series in the world now for electric powered really grand prix cars right um imsa is the major sports car sanctioning body in north america Mm -hmm. that's the weekend that you were here for a year ago they have the best looking the fastest the most horsepower blah 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 their rules next change in 20 22 and they will be hybrids then that'll be the first big step towards what eventually will be all electric race cars right and by the way well you've driven an electric electric cars they are blindingly fast well and and they're almost so with with uh 100 torque at zero rpms they are uh they are almost you don't have the sensation of speed, so you don't realize, other than being shoved back in your seat, that you're going that fast, well, which is it's, it's, it's strange. It's otherworldly that you're going faster than some sort of uh, internal combustion car, but it feels like you're going slower, perversely. You're accelerating faster. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I think there'll be wonderful things to race. I think so, too. There's the... Um, 
I I missed it last year, but the uh, the E Grand Prix series. I forgot the exact. What's it? It runs in Brooklyn. It runs in Brooklyn in Red That's Hook, the Brooklyn. One event in yeah. Um, I think I'm going to try to make it this year because uh, I'm fascinated by it. I've seen seen some of it televised before, um, but the uh, we'll just have to get accustomed to the sound of the whir and the whine rather than the burble of the downshift. And unfortunately, the screeching tires. Oh, yeah. Now you hear the tires. Yeah. I didn't even think yeah. about that. So it's just yeah, the whole way that, up that, and down. That part's not good. No. I mean, but then, you know, even to this day, you know, like the... Uh, I know a lot of automotive journalists are berate the sound of the flat four 718 Porsches because they said it doesn't sound like a Porsche anymore because it's a flat four instead of a flat six. Um, but is it almost like it's almost like horse racing? Like, you know, uh, you can tell the thoroughbred when you see it. I was thinking more about how great the sound of hooves oh. pound, <laughs> pounding on the dirt in electric cars doesn't sound nearly that. Right, bad. right, right, right. So you lost me. Try again. Oh no, I was just, I was just saying, is it sort of like uh, the the this sound, this visceral sound? Why does it move it move us so much? Why does the sound of like a V8 or a supercharged wine really kick us? And then the sound of like a a whiny four cylinder be like, eh, that's sort of weak. What is it in us that makes us want to? I don't know. Is it like the resonance? I don't know. I can't, I can't, because you hear a cool engine, you're like, I want to be in that one. Yeah, I think it's partly, I mean, you've heard those, you've heard automotive internal combustion sounds, you know, since you were very small, and they automatically, kind of the louder they are, the more powerful they are, or you think they are. Uh, I mean, there's a certain logic to the increase in noise, meaning increase in speed. Yep. With an electric car, I mean, I don't, I don't know what they'll do. They, they almost need a buzzer on them, the way they some electric street cars right. almost so do. It's for step in front for of pedestrians, yeah. I wonder what, yeah, what will the sound of the future sound like? Will it be like a jet-like whoosh? Will it be like some sort of high-pitched whine? I don't know. Um, Okay, so give let's let's close this out, Skip. This has been incredibly awesome. And by the way, if we've trailed off, it's because well, Skip won't trail off, but I will trail off and follow a car for as it's going around because I'll see a great liveried seven one eight GT four go by, and uh, I'll lose my stuff a little bit. Um, Let's give some advice to uh, to the young person out there, or even just the younger person out there, on um, getting out and doing it. You know what? You know we go to our local car club. Uh, what kind of car well, do we if, buy? If, if you had anybody listening, um, you know who's twelve. Yep. The uh, I think that's what happens with my podcast. Um, then you get them to go go karting. Oh, we didn't and, even touch and, on go karting. That's, that's a wonderful start. Um, if you, you know, if you have a driver's license and can scrape up the money to buy a used Miata, um, that's a one and join a car club. That's a great way to go. A time that it really gets hard is when you've used your Miata a lot and you're really good. And now you want to do serious racing, not, right. not driving around the track. Then you have to get a race car or you have to join a group of two or three guys who have a race car. Regardless, you have to have some money. So great advice, which every kid hates is, hey, go to school and get a good job. <laughs> hey, no, that's that is that is great advice. That's excellent. Excellent advice. Um, let's cap it off with one final note. The greatest race you ever raced. The greatest race I ever raced. You didn't have to win. Was, it was, was just a, the race that you're like, this is it. I was dialed in. I loved it. Okay. This is most satisfying. Yes. So it's a very low level of racing. Um, Formula Ford used to be the big uh, beginners, and that's not right, starting class for people that wanted to win Indianapolis or Formula One races. Every great driver in the world drove Formula Fords at one time. Jim Clark and stuff he, like that. He was, a, he was a little too old. But oh. He's like the only guy that didn't drive a oh, okay. Formula <laughs> Ford. Okay. You name anybody else, and they did. Um, so I won the national championship in Formula Ford in 1969, the 
the championship is a one race at the end of the season. But the really cool thing about it, and the reason I remember it, is in the morning warm-up, you go out, you know, before your race, and you get to do a few laps to make sure everything's okay. Somebody ran into me and destroyed my car. So we borrowed a car and took the engine out of mine and scrambled, scrambled, scrambled. And I was on the pole for that race, and at the last minute they said, oh, no, that's not the car you put on the pole. You have to start at the back. Uh, oops. Um, and I won it from the back in a car that... In a Frankenstein car, in, in a Frankenstein car. that was, so was cobbled it. together, and you just cleared the field. Yes, and uh, the reason I was at the back was all the guys at the front had protested me. <laughs> so it was a high level of satisfaction. <laughs> oh, because they got the perfect get-out-of-jail-free car. They're like, oh, no, 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 he can't do that with that car, and thus they eliminate the pole sitter immediately. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. Do, do, you know, do, do you know if there's footage of this race out there anywhere? I don't know. Oh my God! Someone know. out there in the I comments can still section. See it in my mind. Someone out there in the comments section, please find us the 1969 Formula Ford Championship because I want to see the one and only Skip Barber cleaning house from the back of the field. <laughs> it was very satisfying, and this has been immensely satisfying. Skip, thank you so much for having us at your track, and uh, thank you for so much for uh, driving us around because we're going to take a hot lap in just a second. Hey. Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, Skip Barber. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. All right. I am currently seated in a 2019 Chevrolet Camaro SS at Lime Rock Park, Connecticut. And behind the wheel is professional racing driver and instructor, Simon Kirkby. Simon, what are we about to do? Well, we're, we're going to go out and do a hot lap of Lime Rock Park. There's four of us in the car. It's pretty cramped back there. <laughs> um, but I guess you're not going to be rolling around too much. Um, Lime Rock is a you know it's a short track. Uh, it's a fast track. It's one of the fastest um, average speed tracks in the country. Um, it's easy to learn, but it's difficult to master because there's, there's a lot of tricks involved uh, in getting around this, uh, this this track at speed. And you said it was, uh, earlier before we talked, you said it was a momentum course. Definitely. What does that mean? Well, uh, you know, I coach a lot of people and the thing that I see most often is people overslowing the car. Um, and, you know, anytime you... you overslow it then you're speeding you're losing speed through the turns and uh, you're not carrying the right amount of speed onto the onto the acceleration zones and it's it, it's uh, uh, really important to keep the speed up and very little braking involved and uh, you know it's a it's a it's a track where um, we get up to even in this we'll probably get up to like 135 to 138 down the front even right. even with four of us in the car even with four of us in the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. excellent i uh i got on my road trip i in an in undisclosed state i got my uh bmw 750 li up to 143 miles an hour but it was uh I could see the curvature of the earth on the road straight ahead of me. So that's quite a bit different than hitting 130 in the course of 1.5 curvy miles. Um, now, the hills. 
what's it like driving up hills? Like, because what most people, when they watch racing, they're watching things like Formula One or NASCAR without elevation changes. How does that enter into vehicle dynamics? Well, actually, both Formula One and NASCAR do have elevation changes. Uh, I mean, NASCAR runs at Watkins Glen. Oh, yes, big elevation I change. Yeah, uh, they they run up in Sonoma. Yeah, uh, big elevation change there. And of course, you know, Formula One has uh, Spa Francorchamps. Spa Francorchamps. Yep, 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 yep. The so, the uh, uh, Rouge is the corner, right? Eau Rouge is the corner. Yep. Uh, Eau Rouge is not quite the Eau Rouge that it used to be when there was no runoff, but it's still a pretty awesome turn. Um, but what happens with elevation change, you know, when, when you go from a flat surface uh, and turn into a hill, which we do here, um, the car compresses into the hill. Mm -hmm. That improves the, uh, the contact patch on the tire. Right. Ah, uh, because the rubber is expanding, therefore a bigger contact patch. Yeah, a bigger patch. contact patch. Yeah. And um, uh, you get more grip. So you can actually afford when you turn in there to turn in early, earlier uh -huh. than you should do. Um, because the gravity of compressing the car is doing the work for you. Yeah, and when you turn in early, you get a bigger radius. So a bigger radius means more speed, and by rights, uh, visually, you should just fly off the course. But you don't. But you don't because you compress and you can add steering and, and get up the hill. That is intensely counterintuitive to me. Yeah. Um, but I guess I'm not a racing driver, so it doesn't make sense to me. Well, you, you, you're going to feel it. Yeah, we're going to feel it. Yeah. Um, so while we do this, uh, Simon, I hope we can hear it through the uh, 450 horsepower V8 of the... Uh, Camaro uh, SS, but uh, hopefully Simon can give us some play-by-play -play as we take four or five, uh, three or four hot laps around Lime Rock. Track is, you know, heavy uh, traction control and um, slip control and everything else because it allows people to turn in early and have big understeer and just get on the gas and, and it takes it away and, and they're not really feeling you know what the car is doing or and by the way once you've got all of those nannies on it the car is a whole lot slower too right oh yeah just because the complexity of all those uh devices well, the, the way that it the way that it strains the car out is by applying brake right 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 um, brake on all four corners depending on what the attitude yeah, and, of the car and taking is taking horsepower yeah. away so yeah you know, yeah um so are we going to go traction control off yeah Ha <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but you probably won't know. I mean, you'll feel a little rotation in the car. Right. You know, I, I use the brake, uh, how I come off the brake to rotate the car to get it to point early so I can go back to the gas sooner. It's it's the, the, the actually turning the car on the brake is the most difficult skill to learn for most track drivers. Right. Because you're not supposed to, right? Or are, I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Well, that. every street car is built with understeer in it. Yes, because yeah. If the car understeers, right. All you have to do is to ease off the gas pedal, and you're okay. Right, right. So what you're doing is forcing the car into oversteer. Oversteer basically. by by changing the uh, changing the weight distribution. Well, no, changing the weight distribution, changing the contact patch size. Got it. Got it. Oh yeah, because they're all. They're all one in the same. Right. By breaking and applying the contact patch, the front, I, yeah. Uh, so then, and then by, oh, you're good. And we are going. All right, Simon, here we are in the uh, 2019 Chevrolet Camaro SS. I'm hoping to get a plug out of this. <laughs> and we are at the uh, Lime Rock Pit Straight right now. And the flag is green.
Mr. Simon Kirkby, thank you so very much. Not a problem. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.